welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. And Dr. Matt, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on uh, your perspective, yeah, uh, it's just me and you today. I, I I like that. I think it's fun. I love having guests, but uh, we do guests almost every single week. It's fun to just have a conversation with you. You know, and 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 I'm I, I procure the guests, if you will. Yes, you and, do. And, and Every I, time I try, they they usually back out. I've had a couple of my own guests, but they're mostly you. It's tougher than you think to get people to come up here and share their stories. There's right. a lot of people that are, are, are forthright and willing to come up and, and and just do it, and then other people who have got amazing stories are somewhat a little bit hesitant yeah. about going on a podcast and sharing their story for all to hear. And I respect that. I mean, everybody's different, and uh, not everybody's quite at the point where they feel comfortable doing that, and that's fine. You know, when I'm out walking about and I talk to people about the podcast and I hear stories, I always say, hey, if you'd love to be on the podcast, we'd love to have you. Right. And But I always say, but you need to be ready. And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, you need to be ready to share your story because uh, once you put it out there, there's no taking it back. Right. And what you don't know, and this is kind of interesting that we're talking about this, is that we say addiction is a family disease. Right. And so is recovery. Yeah, it's a, it's a process for, the, for everybody. You know, and so a lot of times people will, will come up here and tell their story and the rest of the family wasn't ready for it to be out there. And, and to that, I, oh, say, yeah, and to that I say, hey, look, it's your story. You can share it, but right. you might want to check with others because there are certain things that go along with that. Yeah. Part of your story is going to be talking about your family, friends, people that were involved in your story. And uh, I, to be fair, we do tell people we only want you to share what you feel comfortable sharing. Right. right? And uh, sometimes we we have certain people have told us before the interview starts, like, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about this or I don't want to talk about that. So we try to steer clear of those things. But in the end, you're right. Once you you create public domain, once you say, put it out there, it's going to be out there. And what's cool about that is so many people benefit from hearing other people's stories. It's, mm-hmm. it's motivational. It creates hope. Uh, but not everybody's ready to share. So in the three and a half years, almost four years we've done this, we've only had one person. I don't know if we've ever said this on the podcast. Mm. Only one person call us uh, two days after it posted and goes, do you mind taking that down? Oh, that's right. That's right. You know, and I, I don't know if we that. ever did. We just, we, did, we, we never <laughs> talked about it, but we did pull it down. Yeah. But we never talked why. We, we didn't. And so I, and I don't want to draw attention to this family again or whatever, but the, so the deal was is... Uh, this person shared their story on here, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was it was probably months in the making of getting this person to come on and share their story. Right. And after the podcast, they felt really good about sharing their story. Even the day it came out, they called me and says, "Hey, this is amazing. Thank you for this opportunity." Right. You know, and, and I was like, "You bet. Thank you for sharing. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna help somebody. I, I just know your story will." Second day later, I get a call. Hey, do you think you could take that down? I go, "It's been out for two days." Yeah, it's pretty much everywhere. I, I says, you know, I, I, there's no way for me to go back and get it back from everybody who's either downloaded it, shared it, or whatever. I mean, I think we can take it off our server, and I'll certainly do that. May, may I ask why? And the person said, well, it's causing a controversy in my hometown, and yep. a lot of people are talking about it, and they're not happy with how it all went down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, I get that. I said, but you understand this is your story, right? And and. And the person goes, yeah, I get that. Yeah. But just to appease everybody and make it a little simpler, I said, I get that. 
um, yeah, we can certainly take it down. Which is also part of a broader conversation we've had with the KSL management. Mm-hmm. We haven't in a year or two, but in back in the day, we talked about like fact checking and do we need to have somebody check their, and you and I talked to them and we said, no, this is the person's story. If It's however they remember it. It's whatever the details are that they recall. We're not going to fact check people's stories. But as a result, somebody else listening to it who knows the person might say, well, that's not how it happened or that's not true. But that's part of everybody has their own memory of things. Everybody has their own story. I mean, if you and I went to a party and the next weekend we both said what happened at the party, we'd have different recollections of who was there and what happened. I always say there's three sides to a story. Yours, mine, and the truth. Yeah. And the truth is always a little suspect anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, but it's, it's one person's perspective yeah. of what it is. And we've had people who have called us up and said, hey, that's not exactly how it went down. Or there's tattletale on yeah, some of our guests, yeah. right? They call up and they'll say, hey, they said this and that didn't happen. Or this person's not being completely forthright with you. And, like, and, and, and I go, I, I, I get that. You well, know what I mean? Uh, but we're not going to try to control what they say. No. Because uh, we've had some amazing people share stories on this podcast. Yeah. And so for those who are just joining us, who have, uh, you know, maybe just jumped on the Project Recovery bandwagon or introduced to us through someone's story, a loved one, a family member, or a friend, right. uh, I've got the top, it looks like uh, six podcasts okay. that we've done. Our most popular top six. I don't know. It's maybe not most popular, most downloaded. Most downloaded. Most okay. shared. Uh, and, then, and it's funny because we went through this list before the show today, and some of my favorites are not on there. Yeah. And but so that's I, okay. Yeah. It's subjective. Yeah. Um, the number one downloaded podcast we have here on Project Recovery is Sarah Fry. Oh, yeah. Sarah was amazing. And that was probably the toughest podcast uh, that I've done, even sharing my own story. Well, that was a hard one. If yeah. you don't remember, Sarah Fry was the young lady who was on a head-on collision coming down Logan Canyon. Uh, I believe right. it was Logan Canyon. Right. Uh, and uh, was she was with friends. friends. Was it a spring break or uh, something like that? Something like that. They were. She was a senior in mm-hmm. high school, right? A cheerleader. Cheerleader. Yep. Uh, and um, got pinned into a car in the seatbelt, and she ended up losing her lower half. Yeah. No one died in the accident. No. But she was severely injured and lost both legs. One point in it. Uh, she said, Casey, I wish you would have been the guy who hit me. Oh, yeah, that was. And I said, I, I know you're trying to be nice, and I appreciate that, but the the truth is nobody should have hit you. You should not have been in this situation. And, Sarah, you have every right to be mad at the world. I think she said that. I think you both had a really intense, uh, maybe the most, other than reading your daughter's letter, mm-hmm. I think, on the show, um, one of the most intense emotional moments on our show was between the two of you because you had hit a family and that family and it's totally their right hadn't wanted to receive an apology or have any conversation so there's no closure you you know you weren't able to ever talk to them and And i still think about them every day and 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 to try to figure out i do i write a letter uh what you know because i would like to have that closure but they made it clear initially at least they didn't want any contact from you and 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 so i mean maybe it's a good time maybe this is this is good that we're doing this and this we we revisit revisit that and then maybe i could figure out if if there's a way to do it so you didn't have closure no and i'm sure they don't have closure well yeah and 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 who who knows if they want it i mean i i feel like you could always write a letter and send it and then if they don't want to open it they don't have to yeah right um but you were dealing with that and she was dealing with the same thing on the opposite end because the person who hit her and her friends uh 
didn't really offer uh, uh, what she felt was a sincere apology or uh, taking rec- you know like ownership of what happened. Well, if I remember correctly, and you can go back and listen to the podcast, uh, there was a point in the uh, the trial where they asked him to if he wanted to say anything, and he chose not to. Right, right. And, yeah, that's right. You know, and, and that, now and I, so she's, she's needing closure, you're needing closure. Yeah. And so that was a very emotional moment when she said, I wish you'd hit me, because you could see that both of you wished that you could have had the closure on those accidents. That we you, were each other's surrogate. Yeah, that, yeah, and I think that was a powerful moment. Uh, now, I have t- talked to the Fry family since then, and 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 I, and. I, in my recollection, uh, he has apologized. Oh, good. Uh, okay. uh, you know, and I don't know other than that what, what that entailed. But she's an amazing young lady. I remember she's doing good stuff. You should follow her on Facebook. Oh, it, it's, it's amazing should. to see what she's doing. She's currently going up to Utah State. She wants to yep. be a teacher. Yep. But she hasn't let this wheelchair slow her life down. Not at all. She's boating. She's camping. She just got. She does more stuff than I do. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's amazing. And I remember saying, "I was like, you have every reason to be mad at the world." And she was, "But Casey, what would that do?" Yeah. It wouldn't fix anything. No. It just means I'd be mad, and I don't want to be mad. It's like an infection or a poison. It, it, uh, holding on to anger just r- hurts yourself. Yeah. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to hers. And then also, this one, uh, his name is Abel Ortega, and mm-hmm. uh, he had a powerful story. It was him and his wife. They came in, and, and what they've done, and they were in prison together, in and out <laughs> yeah, of it. I mean, right. it was it was it was a wild <laughs> yeah. story. And now these two guys are living their best lives. And yeah. so uh, get a chance to do that one. Another one is Travis Whitaker. Yeah, and right now there's some interesting stuff going on with Travis Whitaker. I th- think they're filming a, a movie about his life. Oh, are they really? Yeah, and oh, cool. uh, he was the basketball player, mm-hmm. and he works as an interventionist. And uh, I mean, I we should uh, find out where that movie's at and have him come back and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. the last I heard is that they were in pre-production and, and and getting ready to film a movie or a story about his life. Cool. Uh, another one is a fan favorite, and anytime I get asked to be on a panel. I always bring this guy's name up and see if he'll come with me. It's Dr. Rod Gardner. Oh, man. He's great. Yeah, he's a, he's a dentist and oral surgeon up in Logan who uh, ended up in prison. Yeah, and he's a perfect example of how addiction is no respecter of persons. Here we have a bright, articulate, well-educated you know, you know, uh, guy making good money, mm-hmm. and man, that addiction just got a hold of him. I remember he was telling a story, and you'll have to go back and listen to it, but he would write his patients a prescription, mm-hmm. and then he would send them on their way, and then he would run around and get in his car and follow them to get their prescription filled, and then wait to see if there was a moment where he could take well, the medicine. Well, I think he, he shared a story about uh, when the person got out of the, they had filled the prescription, got out of the car to either go in their house or someone else's house, and he pulled up alongside the car, snatched the prescription, and took off. Yes. And what was great about Dr. Rod's uh, story is he's so authentic. He's so real. He just tells you exactly what he did and, and how it affected him and didn't pull any punches. I mean, that's a that's just a crazy thing to admit to, but he did it. And the powerful part is, is at one time he's in prison. Uh, and he gets down on his knees oh, and yeah. he starts to pray. And in the very beginning, it was just him. Mm-hmm. And if I remember, there was a pot of 10. He said within the week, everybody was down on their knees. I think he said at him. one point he like heard something and he peeked out of his eye while he was, you know, opened his eye and peeked and there was another guy next to him. And then, yeah, so yeah. that's a special story. Yeah. I love that. And then uh, another uh, sought after podcast or highly downloaded uh, is a friend of yours. You actually went to high school with her. 
Tara. Yeah. Yeah. Tara's story is great. Uh, Tara is a great person, and I can attest to that, knowing her since junior high school. And uh, Tara's story about everything she went through with her uh, husband, who we also went to high school, her first husband, uh-huh. um, and uh, the addiction and how it uh, eventually got a hold of her. Um, really great, great person. And uh, this last one, uh, he's kind of a superstar in the recovery world right now, and he's doing wonderful things. And I see his face popping up on Instagram. Mm-hmm. He's working out at SOAR up in Ogden, which is the School, School of, of Addiction, Addiction Recovery. recovery. Yep. Uh, his name is Chris Hill. And uh, ever since this podcast first came out, I think we got pretty close uh, sobriety dates. He's always wanted to be on. He's always yeah. wanted to be on. And yep. then all of a sudden we got him on, and he has found his community. And yeah, he is a superstar for he's, sure. He's doing wonderful things. And uh, I saw a video of him last night on Instagram. And you know how most people have a ponytail in the back? Yeah. He's rocking a ponytail on the front of his chin. He's got this big, like, beard goatee. Looking like a Viking or something. Yeah, and then there's a little ponytail in there, and he's pushing weights and just owning who he is and what he does. And that's, and yeah. that's what I love. And he represents a great organization, SOAR. Yeah. And so I guess what I wanted, you know, I'm looking down this, and uh, this is something we just threw together because we needed to do a podcast because we, we don't want to miss. Yeah, we, we want to be here every week, and... The funny thing is, this little conversation we're having right here, you and I and Josh sometimes have off the air of like reminiscing about some of our favorite or most influential moments over the last three years. So we wanted to share that with everybody. Yeah. And, and we didn't even get to the lady who had beta fish fights in her garage. Oh, well, she also she also housed the homeless in the basement. Well, the housing homeless, beta fish, mud wrestling, and uh, middle of the day local rock bands. Yeah. And and she would sell tickets. And gang consulting. Oh, gang. Oh, she became a gang consultant of how to improve your, your gang business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just unbelievable. But here's what I want to point out um, is this is what addiction looks like. This the addiction yeah. does not discriminate. We have got a, a beautiful young lady. We've got a, 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 a married couple. Yeah. We've got a, a basketball star. We've got a doctor. We've got a mom. And yeah. we, we've got a son. And, you know, that is the face Every, of addiction. That's so diverse. Yes. Yeah. Yep, it's there's a lot of diversity because it doesn't discriminate. And this is why I'm so grateful that we get to do this podcast because we didn't know what we were going to talk about and we sat down and th- my heart is full because we are able to share these stories and help people yeah. uh, know that recovery is possible. Well, to be honest, I feel a little selfish. Just because I have I have a cool job. Yeah. I like my job. Because, and I love my job. Because I get to talk and you get to talk to new people all the time. And, and I get to talk to them in an intimate setting. Yeah, sometimes the conversations are pretty hard, but I get to see people grow and do all this stuff. And I didn't think I really needed any more of that in my life. But I look forward to coming here every week because I get to meet some of the most interesting neat people that have been through some crazy experiences in life and are now out doing some amazingly great things in our community. Um, it, it is, it feels a little selfish because I always, every week I think, uh, you know, what, who am I going to meet? What's it going to be about? It's going to be fun. It's great. Yeah. And, and so, I, so I love the fact that we get to do this. And then as we are walking in to the studio this morning, um, 
Uh, Wendy, she runs the f- receptionist. Oh, I love Wendy. Yeah, she's just a vivacious, fun lady. <laughs> really and she is. goes, hey, Casey, yeah. I got some mail for you. And I was like, you know what? And I was like, I wonder if I'm getting served or something. I, <laughs> I think I'm in pretty good shape. So they do that in person. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I was like, wow, what is this? You know, who writes letters anymore? And she goes, here you go. So I pick Isn't it, it up. cool if you yeah. get a written letter? Yeah. It's like the coolest yeah. thing. Yeah. So uh, I got this letter and it said, hey, Casey, you probably don't remember me, but I've admired you for several years. You had emceed a few events in Logan that I attended. I was looking forward to Common Ground's large fundraiser at Beaver Mountain this year. We were disappointed to have someone else emcee the event, learning later that it was your dad. Much, went, much time went by before I learned the story behind that. Again, time went by before I learned of your journey. I've listened to Project Recovery while driving home from working at Beaver Mountain. I admire you so much for sharing your story, which takes much courage. Thank you. You are giving many people hope to step up like you have done. I'm also happy to see you back on Channel 5. Keep on keeping on, Marge Seeholzer. Oh, that's great. Now, I know Marge Seeholzer. Good for you, Marge, for taking the time to write a letter. That is just an amazing thing. She is a wonderful lady, and the Seeholzer family has owned Beaver Mountain uh, since the beginning. Ski resort. Uh, It's a ski resort, and they do summer stuff. And when I was road tripping, I'd go up there and I'd hang out with her. And and, and she still runs the front desk. She still sells tickets. Her her son, Travi, his real name's Travis, but I call him Travi. And I don't think he likes that. But I think that's why I like it. (laughs) And they are just amazing people. And uh, once again, uh, I was supposed to emcee that event. Okay. So this was the... Grounds for coffee? What was no, that? Common ground. Common ground. And so, what it is is they help uh, people with uh, disabilities. Oh yeah, yeah. Able to go attack life. Yeah. Uh, they take them skiing. They take them right. bo- boating. They, uh, oh yeah. It's what, a whatever fant- is you. Fantastic. Whatever you say, I can't do it because of this. They show they you a way to do a way it. to get it done, and they yeah. take you up there. So and they cool. do it. Very cool. But the interesting thing is, I had to call my dad while I was in detox. Because I'm laying in detox. I'm coming off of alcohol. Uh, I almost died because my breathing got so shallow. They had to take me to the ER. And I'm laying in detox. It's up at uni, the Huntsman Mental Health Institute now. Yep. And my eyes open up. And I go, holy cow. I'm supposed to emcee this event in oh. three days. <laughs> I don't think I've heard this story. I've never told it. Yeah. And, and, and it just came back to me this. And so uh, I had to call my dad in detox and go, hey, dad. Uh, this is a very important thing to me. These guys have been really good to me. Um, would you please drive up there and MC and be the auctioneer yeah. for this event? Because they're, they're expecting me and it's in three days and that's not plenty enough time to find somebody else. No. And he goes, I don't even know these guys case. And I go, I, I know dad, but I do. Would you please do it? And and for the listener, your dad also is an MC, uh, an, an MC auctioneer and a radio professional. Yep. And so he went up there and did that. Um, and, um, oh, that's really cool. So that makes, so that makes more sense why she wrote it that way in the letter, because, you know, she didn't really know the story. I I assume your dad kept it private. Yeah. Well, because I mean, I'm in detox, which is he going to say, you know, right. You know, Hey, my son's an alcoholic, which, so they got a Scott. It just wasn't wasn't, wasn't me. And coming up this October, I'll be back at the advent MC and, uh, auctioning off stuff for them very cool so kind of so i mean recovery has given me so many blessings so many blessings to which i'm eternally grateful and uh i appreciate it so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a break right now coming up dr matt's brought some stuff and he's going to talk about the power of optimism we want to talk about how optimism influences motivation 
And that's what we see. If you listen to this second part, you're going to understand better when you come back and listen to our future guests or our past guests of how they uh, went from how a rock bottom actually motivates a person to change. You're listening to Project Recovery. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Now, you've often said that I'm an optimist. Yes, I've accused you of optimism. Now, do you think optimism uh, is uh, a thread in a lot of people's recovery? Do you think it's a must uh, or do you think it just helps? I don't know how people would recover from the things that that they recover from without it. Okay. Now, some people are optimists by by nature or by training, and so they're optimistic all the time. Uh, I don't necessarily think you have to be optimistic all the time to to be in recovery, right? But um, hope and optimism motivate change, right? right? And and that's what we see here on the show all the time. And I think about like, well, there are – you know, we've been able to highlight some great treatment modalities, some great treatment facilities. Uh, we've been able to hear people talk about the different things they've done, everything from 12-step programs to ice baths. Wim Hof ice, ice baths to medication help to meditation, um, therapy, trauma work. I mean, so many different things. And so I was thinking, well, what do I want to talk about on the show today? Like, how do we pull all those threads together? And the truth is motivation is a tricky thing. We've talked about the science of behavior change. How do people really change and the steps that are involved in that? But it's a lot of work. And you often hear uh, parents or people say, I don't know how to motivate them. Exactly. I, 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 I mean, how, how do you motivate anybody? I mean, I, I, in the business world, we do it with money. Uh, right. You know, in, in, in you know. Our kids, maybe with accolades, mm-hmm. uh, with gifts, uh, yep. attention, reinforcement—you know, something of like various that. Sorts, yeah. But how do you find motivation? That is a wonderful question. In fact, what we're going to do—if uh, I'm going to treat this a little bit like I'm teaching a, a symposium—and so on Facebook, we're going to have Josh post some resources. Okay. And one of those resources. Wait, my hands raised. Oh yes, uh, young man in the first row. What is symposium? Uh, it's like a little lecture. Okay. I'm going to teach you something. All right. Um, but we'll try to make it fun. Edward Decky, D-E-C-I, we're going to put um, a link or at least a mention about his book about motivation on the website. And he's a he's a psychologist, I think University of Rhode Island, researcher on motivation. And he talks a lot about the problem that we've done for a long time is these external motivations, mm-hmm. right? Like we just mentioned, everything you just said is an external motivation. Nice house, boat, motorhome, RV, big cat. Paycheck, yeah, you know, accolades, anything where it's like something from the outside is coming to motivate me to do things. And what we find is that's pretty effective for kids in a lot of ways. It's pretty effective for adults in a lot of ways. But the harder the task becomes, the more challenging the task becomes, the less effective external motivations are. And in fact, we've had people say things like they'd almost rather be dead then have to go through the, the the detox and everything that happens when with the withdrawals. I mean, the withdrawals, I, yeah, or climbing back out of that hole. Yeah, so there there aren't enough dollars really, or you know, things like that to motivate a person sometimes. Well, to be fair, I mean, in recovery, when I was working at the recovery center, uh, people would say. How much money does it cost? I'll pay it. Fix my kid. Fix mm-hmm. my loved one. Do whatever. And I go. Unfortunately, money does not help in this situation. 
Yeah, yeah. Money, money might get you in the door, but money you can't buy a recovery. No, you can't. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Doctor Decky says, what we are about is trying to have internal motivation. And there are three things that he points out that are that create internal motivation. So your question earlier was, you know, people will come in and they'll say, "How do I motivate my loved one to change?" And the reality is creating an environment in which they develop internal motivation. So what are some of those things? Belonging and feeling connected. Those are his words. What do we always say? Opposite of addiction is not abstinence. It's connection. Yeah. Right. That's the number one right there on the list is research shows when you can create an environment for a person who's struggling with a task that they need to do, if they can feel a sense of belonging and connectedness, that's number one. So okay. we know that from working with people here on and the show. And that's usually done through community. Yes, yes, finding a community. And what, we have some amazing opportunities in the state of Utah for those kinds of communities. If you like to exercise, if you're into nutrition, motivation uh, towards meditation and- Climb and, mountains, yeah, whatever so it is. many things. There, there's a group yeah. for you out there. I mean, bowling, 12-step. I mean, all those things. Sober softball. Yeah, which is a thing. Is a thing. Uh, number two is a sense of autonomy and self-determination, meaning even though I'm connected with everybody else, I can do this. I'm determined. I have a- I have a belief in myself, and we'll come back to that with optimism in a minute. And then feeling competent, you know, being in an environment where somebody's teaching you actual skills. When you always feel like, like, this is how I feel around my house a lot of the time, is uh, incompetent. Like, if I have to fix something, I'm like, oh, do I have the right tool? I've never done this before. Like, I'm not, that's not an easy place for me uh, to go. And so, you know, I'm Googling a lot of things. And I'm YouTubing. currently in the middle of a remodel where nothing but a cavalcade of men who know how to do stuff are <laughs> been in my house. And they make you feel <laughs> you know what like I mean? about this big, right? Yeah. Even yeah. my girlfriend knows more about building a home just, than I do. I was just going to say, I now just ask Ashley. She knows it. She, she knows how like, to do stuff. She's like, do you know where the breaker box is? And I go, I think it's downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and I, man. I don't know what happened to us. But, um, but motivation is important. And what, how do we get motivated besides finding connectedness and all that? We have to have some fuel. We have to have something that sort of fuels that. Mm-hmm. And, and those three steps, so check out that book if you're interested in motivation. It's going to be on the, on the Facebook. But uh, optimism. So what do you think optimism is? Because what you're going to say isn't going to be wrong, but it's not going to be 100% right. But go ahead. What do you think optimism is? Um, for me, optimism, the way I look at it is things are better than they seem. And regardless of what is put ahead of me, I will be okay. Okay. That that's for me. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, things are going to work out. Things are going to work out. It yeah. might not be exactly how I wanted it to, uh, but it's going to be okay. And that is a good basic definition of optimism. Yeah, that that somehow good things are going to happen, or success in some form or fashion is going to happen for me. But I've also got optimism when it comes to negativity. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> this is going to suck, but I bet it's not going to suck as bad as I think it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I mean, like that. That, that's what I do. Is I was, I was like, yeah, I don't really want to go do twenty five minutes, um, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be as bad as I think. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and I go, it's not going to kill me. And to be honest, it's probably going to be good for me. And so let's just get it done. So I call that realistic optimism mm-hmm. because it's grounded in reality. Yeah. It's like this is not going to be the most fun thing I've ever done, but it's not going to be as bad as I think. This remodel has sucked. I've lived through a couple, and uh, they're no fun. 
but I know I'll get through it, and it will be a way better house when I'm done. You know what I mean? You're going to love it. And, yeah. and But right now, I mean, I would give my kingdom uh, to have it all be gone right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just to be like, I, just give me back my old house with pink carpet. I don't care. Yeah, the 70s decor. Oh, it was cool. I know, I know. I was waiting for pink carpet to come back, but my girlfriend's like, it's not coming back. Oh, you, I bet you can order it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you're right. That is optimism. Looking forward and knowing that things are going to work out in some way. And I do like, I, I talk with patients all the time about, let's be realistic. Optimism is not Pollyannish. It's not that rose-colored glasses stuff. It's grounded in reality. But most of the time, things do work out in some way. So that's an optimistic point of view. But Martin Seligman, who's a researcher in this, I've mentioned on the show before, he'll say, you know, real optimism is not... Uh, grounded in things like positive affirmations and, and, you know, positive visualizations and things like that. That's not where we get optimism. Like a vision board? Yeah. I mean, I, I, if you like a vision board, go for it. It can't hurt. Uh, but it's not going to necessarily create real optimism. It might make you feel good and give you a path and a direction. So it's fine. But it's focusing on how a person thinks about the causes of what happens to them in their life. That's the basis of optimism. So if you think about what cause it, you know, what are the causes of what happens to me in my life? And he breaks it down into a few different ways. We probably just have time to talk about the three P's. Let's go. The three P's. And this is, if you want to know if you're an optimist or if you're married to an optimist or a pessimist, listen, because this is, this is one way to think about it. Okay. So the first one is personalization. If you, let's say we're, we're going to talk about the, what's the cause of a problem in my life. We have a problem in my life. What's the cause of that? If you tend to personalize, if you tend to blame yourself a lot, you are not an optimist. You're probably a pessimist. Okay. Because you walk around with that heaviness on you all the time. Oh, gee, I'm a knucklehead. I'm a this, I'm a that. I, you know, I'm the cause of all my problems. Basically a Debbie Downer. You've got a black cloud following you everywhere yeah. you go, thinking yeah. it only rains on you. Exactly. So it's it's interesting. You see people like that. We've all probably been like that at times. And I want to, as a little sidestep here for a second in the conversation, when I say this, it sounds like I'm talking about these absolutisms. You're either an optimist or a pessimist. Most of us are in the middle. Fifty Shades right? of Grey. Think, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, it could be. That's, I think, a different show. But, oh. um, but <laughs> um, not the book that I read. But. Um, <laughs> But uh, if you think about a bell-shaped curve, remember from school, you yeah. got the bell-shaped curve with yeah. statistics. Those are pretty applicable to this. Okay. Whereas most of us have some optimism and some pessimism. Sure. But you can think about yourself. Do I tend to blame myself or my immediate you know, environment for all of my woes and my problems? Do I get really down? Do I have a lot of negative self-talk? Boy, I'm a jerk. Boy, I, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's not you. No. That's, that's not you. But that is, if you're doing that, you might want to say, I need to, I need to rethink that because we'll come back. The opposite is people who don't over-personalize. That doesn't mean you don't take responsibility, but you don't over-personalize yeah. ownership for bad things in your life. Number two is permanence. Permanence. Things will are bad and they'll last forever. That's oh. not an optimistic point of view, right? No. Like you said in just a moment ago, you gave a good example of 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 permanence in the right direction. You said, "Well, this this is bad, but it's not going to be as bad as I think." So you know, it's not going to last forever. It's twenty five minutes. I can get this workout done. Yeah. I'll feel good when it's over with. But you're like, it's not like I'm going to feel bad all day because no. I did this workout. Right? Uh. 
And so a pessimist tends to see things as mostly their fault because they're incompetent and they're down on themselves. They have a lot of negative self-talk. And they tend to think things are either permanent or they're going to last way longer than they really do. Yeah, this like is I'm my life, feel and I just have to forever. get used to it. Rather than trying to figure out how a way to change it and make it better, right. they accept it and endure it. Right. This is going to, yeah, I hate my job, and it, you know, but it's the only job I can ever have. Ten more years, I can retire. Ew. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, well, we're planning on being miserable for ten years. <laughs> but, there's people, right. but there's people out there that do that. Tons. You know what I mean? And, 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 you feel and, trapped, and then yeah. you get into that idea that this is a permanent situation for yeah, myself. Yeah, and you're like, well, well, this is it. Yeah. And pervasiveness. This is um, feeling like things uh, are bad here and then they'll keep like snowballing into other things. You know, so like like I'll tell you who I right there yeah. when you said that, you know yeah. who that is? Who's that? Cameron in uh Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh yeah. You know, and then they'll call and then they'll do this <laughs> they'll and then they'll go do this and, you know, and he just keeps playing it forward. When None of that stuff has Cameron happened yet. Cameron <laughs> was in Egypt's land. Let my Cameron go. Yeah. yeah. But he was that kind of guy, right? Yeah, oh, and if Cameron. you don't know, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a classic from John Hughes. Actually, if you want to learn a lot about uh, adolescent development, go watch John Hughes films. I'm not kidding. He yeah, does a great smart. job of, of, of highlighting personality types in teenagers. And you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought of that. But Cameron is a perfect example of a, a pessimist. Everything's his fault. It's permanent. It's never going to go away. And it's pervasive. It's all areas of his life, right? From his relationship to his parents, to his best friend, Ferris. Who's an optimist. Who's, an op- who's a total optimist in that show. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So that's a that's a great show to go watch anyway, but it's a good example of an optimist and a pessimist who are friends. Yeah. So the opposite here would be if you are saying to yourself, well, I sound like a pessimist. I just I just heard the three P's, which are personalization, permanence and pervasiveness. And I feel like I'm a little bit more or a lot more on on the pessimist side than the optimist side. What can I do? The first thing I, ha- I recommend people do is I say when you have a problem and you think about the cause, sit down and write out these things. I know that sounds ridiculous. I hate to write things down myself, but just do it a couple of times. It'll really shed light into how you think about things. So you sit down, you write like personalization and you can rate it. Like how much am I personalizing this? Yeah. Am I feeling like this is a hundred percent my fault or, or only 10% my fault? Where am I at on that? And is it permanent? Like how long do I think this problem really realistically, how long will it last? Not how emotionally dreading do i feel about it but but what what's my permanent feeling how long will it really last okay and then the other is pervasiveness are all aspects of my life trash or is it just this like this is a bummer right and that's where you can look at i mean i've thought i've done the pervasiveness in my own life before where i've had a big setback with something and uh i've sat and thought you know everything sucks you know and then you sit and think about it a little bit longer. And you're like, well, actually, it doesn't. Like, I've got good friends and family. Um, you know, Beautiful I've been kids. successful in a lot of ways. My garden's rocking. My, I got the beets growing in the garden, all this good stuff. And then you realize this isn't pervasive. It's acute. It's just this issue. Yeah. Right. And so if I can stay focused on the fact that not everything's my fault, I'm not a total loser or a knucklehead, yeah. that this isn't going to last forever. And everything in my life isn't a problem. It's just this issue. Then you can see how those three P's stack up to help you realize things are going to work out. I love it. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so that's why the research shows that uh, people are born 
uh, most of us in the middle with a little mix of optimism and a little mix of pessimism. And our early life experiences can influence that. If you have a lot of frustration, setbacks, chaos, abuse, trauma, those kinds of things, you're probably going to see the world as more of a pessimist. But the research is clear. Just like we can learn to be depressed and we can learn to feel helpless, we can actually also learn to be optimistic by paying attention, especially if you're an adult. Yeah. As an adult now, you can analyze yourself a little bit easier. If you have teenagers, you can analyze them yourself. And they, Is my kid always like blaming themselves? Do they have a lot of negative self-talk? Do they say things like it's never going to work out and everything sucks? If so, they're struggling with these three Ps, right? Yeah. And so as a parent, it's good to see it in your kids because there are some options for helping people learn to be optimistic. And optimism, in my experience, is a a big part of the fuel that creates that motivation and change. So we want to create an environment that is uh, connected and inclusive and helps a person feel motivated. But we need some fuel to kind of make that happen. And I think we see it with our guests when they talk about their rock bottom, because how many times... Have we had a guest on the show where they say, and then this thing happened, and you and I look at each other like, well, that's got to be the rock bottom. Yeah. Right? I mean, that was terrible. Yeah. And then they're like, nope, they keep going. Nope. And then another thing happens. And one of the, eventually they come to the rock bottom that becomes the catalyst for change, and there's a lot of factors in there. But one of the things is they believe that things can happen. They're like, I'm going to put everything. How many times have we had a person say, I finally went to the treatment program, and I said, I'll do whatever you say, just Help me. We had that one guy said, he goes, if they told me to put my head in the toilet for 10, yeah, I'd do it. I'd do it. Because now you're like, it's going to work. It's going to work yeah. out. I've just got to follow what these people. So there's humility and there's, there's connectedness and there's professionalism and there's a lot of factors. But optimism, I tell you what, and you know what, why, why somebody if listening and they're like, yeah, that sounds fine, Matt, optimism, whatever. I'm a realist. Well, realists are just uh, pessimists in sheep's clothing. They're, 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 you're kidding yourself. Yeah. People that say they're realists are usually just pessimists. But are there benefits to optimism? 100%. Yeah. So let me tell you what. Work. More career success, job satisfaction, and more proficiency. That's research. It shows it very clearly. How about physical health? Could it possibly affect? Optimism is just an attitude. Yeah. Could that affect your physical health? 100%. Guess what? There's a lot of research that says you have significantly better cardiovascular health if you're an optimist, better immune system, and you deal with your health problems better. And guess what? The big one, you live longer. Optimists live longer. There's research to show that. So I've always wondered, and, and so like you'll hear somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer. And, right. And they get diagnosed with cancer, and then within a month, they've passed on. Could be. And then you've seen somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer and that person will go, I'm going to beat this. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, they beat it. I know there's a lot of stuff in between there. But the optimism when it comes to battling those problems are either people resign to having this or they go, I'm going to give this thing the best fight it's ever had. Right. And, and while we do acknowledge that there are lots of different kinds of cancer, some are more aggressive than others, yeah. definitely. But we do know that research shows, specifically with cancer, that optimists have a better outcome. So they live longer and they're healthier longer than pessimists when it comes to dealing with cancer of all kinds. So health benefits, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So that one blew me away years ago when I read the research on that. I'm like, people actually, you you would think, but that's how tied our psychology and our physical health is. They're, They're very much the same. And then mental health, well, this may not be a surprise to people, but you have less depression 
if if you are an optimist. You report more life satisfaction across the board, relationships, work, all that stuff, and actual happiness and resilience, which is sort of like the emotional armor for life. If you're a resilient person, you're the person I like to say, uh, you know, it rains on everybody, but optimists bring umbrellas. It's like I'm resilient. I am going to get through the rain. I'm not just going to let it get me. Does that make sense? Because it rains on everybody. Everybody has their problems. Our list of awesome guests uh, proves that, that everybody in any walk of life can have an addiction. And an optimist is much more likely to handle that addiction and recovery in a, in a more significantly positive way than a pessimist. You know what kids are calling resiliency nowadays? What's that? The bounce back. The bounce back. Yeah, how, I like that. How, how's your bounce back? Yeah. Well, bounce back game is strong. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and, and that's what it is, 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 you know, going, hey, look, you're going to knock me down, but I'm going to bounce right back, and yeah. I'm going to give you everything I got. And you know what? That has finally started, started, I should say, to seep into the public school system. Davis County has a whole... A program on teaching resilience through mindfulness. Really? Yeah, and in the public schools. And I think that should be a required course. It's probably more important than foods. Way more important <laughs> than balancing your checkbook because nobody even has a checkbook anymore. Right. I, I've, I've had to explain to my adult kids what a check is. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's hilarious. It was like, well, can I just Venmo you? <laughs> nah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Matt, I always find so much insight and so much uh, great stuff in, uh, in, in your talking. So well, uh, I, do, I love it, buddy. Well, thanks. It's fun to talk about. I get excited about optimism and motivation and behavior change, I guess, because that's what I do with people often. And I love being able to do it and talk about it, mostly because if you'll listen to me. I had an interesting conversation with this kid last night. I've known him. Oh my gosh, I'm old. Probably almost 15 years. I've known him a long time. We visit every once in a while. And he was saying, he, he said, you know, once I started doing what you told me, life got a lot better. That was like his, what he said to me on the way out. I'm like, oh, that was the best thing I could hear at the end of the day. And uh, I was driving home and I was thinking, yeah, and nothing frustrates me more than when I'm giving people good stuff and they don't do it. So be a smart person, be like my buddy, and and take some of this to heart. Um, Josh is going to put up some uh, books and a website uh, reference that uh, the first the first book we haven't even mentioned, which is a really cool book. It's called Beyond Addiction: How Science and Kindness Help People Change. That's a really great book if you are into recovery and addiction. If you have a family member who's in addiction and wanting to help them get into recovery. So I appreciate that. I just appreciate the format to be able to talk about this. Well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you stopping by and letting us uh, hopefully entertain you, educate you, and uh, hang with you. Uh, You've been listening to Project Recovery. It is what, Dr. Matt? It's a KSL podcast. I'm an optimist. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. 
KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk.